Hello and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Today on the show, we welcome special guest Tyler Fleming, Director of the Investor Office at the Ontario Securities Commission. As Financial Literacy Month continues, Tyler shares the mandate of the OSC and how it sets out to educate investors and financial advisors. The OSC protects investors from improper and fraudulent practices, fosters capital formation, and contributes to the stability of Ontario's financial system and the reduction of systemic risk, among many other actions. Fleming and host Pamela Ritchie cover many topics, including how consumers can protect themselves from cyber and fraudulent activities, the OSC's focus on research in behavioral science, plus highlights from some of its recent initiatives one of which is the relaunch of its website, GetSmarterAboutMoney.ca, which offers free, unbiased financial tools, resources, videos, and more. This podcast was recorded on November 1st, 2023. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada, ULC, or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. A warm welcome to you, Tyler. How are you? Thank you for having me. Great to be here. It's great to have you here. So what you are doing at the OSC is is inviting investors, which advisors are speaking to every day, to increase their financial literacy. Why do this ultimately? Well, again, thank you for having me at the beginning of Financial Literacy Month. It's such an important time of the year for all of us in the financial ecosystem to put a focus on helping people improve their financial knowledge, skills, attitudes, and behaviors. Uh, and certainly advisors play a key role in that. Uh, we all have a role to play in improving financial literacy and education, um, including regulators such as myself, governments, not-for-profits, but also the financial industry and the advisors. So, so thank you. Oh, we're delighted that you're here. I, um, but do you think that investors, that you're, that you're aiming some of these really interesting educational tools, are how are they? I mean, would you find most advisors have to teach many of their clients? Like to, to what extent do you find you have to sit down as an advisor and really kind of take them through the basics? So I don't need to tell the, the people watching right now, there's a <laughs> wide variety of knowledge out there. And of course, the population, the client population is always changing, right? People become investors for the first time uh, or they age out and, and retire and, and, and their life circumstances change. So when we look at the data, um, there's a, there, there is a variety. In some of our research that we do, we objectively test knowledge and, and about 50% of people, 50% of questions sorry, are answered incorrectly by people and that's mm-hmm. held pretty constant. Um, the Financial Consumer Agency of Canada um, conducts some studies where they ask people what their perception of their knowledge is. So a little different than testing it directly. And similarly, they find about half of people rate themselves as having low financial knowledge. So definitely an issue for all of us to focus on. And, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of um, resources and tools available by us and others that can, can help with that. So, so there are, and how ultimately do you, do you kind of make sure that they come through your channel? I mean, this, this is obviously an issue for many because there's lots of 
enticing um, invitations throughout social media, all over the place to to say, we can teach you more. And, and perhaps there's a catch and perhaps, perhaps there isn't. But how do, how do you get people to your channel? What do you do to do that? Yeah, so it's a great question because there is a multiplicity and, and increasing complexity in, in the sources of information. Um, we are just one, advisors with the clients are just one. We know people are getting information from all over. So at the OSC, um, we have a variety of channels to educate uh, investors and financial consumers, recognizing that not everyone will be accessed by everyone. So I'll just give some examples. Okay. Um, our main uh, website for investors and financial consumers is called getsmarteraboutmoney.ca. Um, it, it's helpful to people right across the country and internationally, in fact. Um, we really uh, punch up our weight in terms of the reach. So oh, certainly really? advisors can use a lot of the tools there with their clients and people come to us through that website channel. But we have other activities, including a lot of social media, um, recognizing that's where people are getting information there too, both organic social media and, and pushing information out through paid uh, promoted posts. We do a lot of community events. You know, it's not for everybody, but some people like to be in person. Yeah. Uh, so we travel across the province and, and a lot of online events as well. Reach people in the, the way they want to. Do you do a year roughly? So this most recent year, we did almost 200 in total. That's a uh, lot. Combination of in-person uh, we have someone who travels around the province to meet people where they are. Uh, we're based here in Toronto, but we recognize we're not the Toronto Securities Commission, we're the Ontario Securities Commission, and a key player nationally and internationally as well. So um, we also have telephone town halls, people phone in, and we do a lot of online events as well. So would one of the ideals or one of the goals be that, you know, advisors could say, look at these different things that the OSC is offering to sort of up your financial knowledge to, to their own investors and clients that they're looking after and, and they would perhaps go away and before their next meeting with their advisor come back with just a little bit of a higher knowledge is that is that one of the main goals or well that'd be great to see because one of the advantages uh, advantages of us providing these resources is that um, they're neutral we don't have we're not selling anything um, people can rely on them perhaps in a different way than maybe what they see online or uh, from other sources so advisors uh, hopefully can can point their clients to our resources to educate themselves and and also become more informed before the next conversation for sure because i mean that must be just such a massive part the whole idea of allowing information that is not selling anything as you say to filter out um there is a fraud element that is rampant out there can can we just discuss that a little bit and you know again how you get the truth and, and just a, a more organic way of teaching uh, financial literacy out versus, I mean, in the face of how bad is fraud these days on this front? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's certainly a big focus for us. And it's a growing problem here in Canada, you know, with fraud. It's not just the financial impact as well. It's really important to recognize and have devastating yeah. emotional, physical, and mental health consequences for the individual who's victimized as well as their, their family. So that it's life changing in many ways. Um, so what we know is that fraud is a growing problem. The Canadian Anti-Fraud Centre reported that over half a billion dollars in fraud was reported to them directly. And, and the thing to remember is fraud is such an underreported crime. Um, only about 5 to 10% really? of fraud, we suspect, is actually reported. So it's just the tip of the iceberg. Um, there's different reasons for that. A lot of times people are embarrassed, right? They, 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 they were victimized, but they feel that they were a fool or they're embarrassed to tell anyone. Um, friends and family, let alone a third party. So it, it, we know it's an underreported crime with devastating consequences. 
So your office is is the investor office. How do you then link with advisors? So, I mean, right now you're speaking with advisors, planners as well, but what else do you do? How do you, how do you make that link happen? Sure. Well, maybe I could just explain what our office does yeah. very quickly first. So um, we were created eight years ago. We're a regulatory branch of the Ontario Securities Commission, which is Canada's largest securities regulator. Um, we have a total focus on retail investors, and we do that in different ways. Um, we're talking uh, a focus on financial education and, uh, and outreach today. Uh, but we also have a team that focuses on investor policy. Um, we have a research and behavioral science team as well that conducts really helpful studies uh, to inform the public, including advisors. And we'll be speaking a little bit about that, I think, today. Um, but fraud prevention is something woven through a lot of different um, initiatives because the problem, another problem with fraud is once a fraud has occurred, the money is likely already long gone. And so really the, one of the best things we can do is prevent that fraud from happening in the first place. And one of those ways is to educate and inform uh, investors and consumers so they know how to spot the warning signs and what else to look out for. What are some of just sort of the classic warning signs? I, I feel like we've all probably seen them to some extent, but what would be sort of one, two, three or five of them? Yeah, yeah, no, it's a great question. So one that everyone knows, but it remains true is if something that sounds too good to be true, it probably is, right? So often frauds are promising um, unreasonably high returns, right? So uh, 20% guaranteed, no risk, uh, it just doesn't exist, right? But people, for different reasons, might find that compelling. Um, we're in very challenging economic times right now on a number of fronts, so people need to earn money. And and sometimes if it's from a friend or family, you're more likely to trust it too. That's often how frauds are perpetrated through affinity mm -hmm. groups. Um, but definitely, if something sounds too good to be true, it probably is good life lesson it all is, around. Yeah. Um, just a couple other things. Um, so, so we want investors to make sure their advisor is registered, that they're licensed, that they're approved to do what they are doing with you. Um, so everyone listening here is, is, is the good side, but they all know there's lots of people out there offering advice. Right. Selling opportunities are not, are not registered, not approved, not credentialed, not trained. Um, but we want investors to do that due diligence step to check registration. Um, and then there's just a few others. Like if someone's offering you a hot tip based on insider information, Obviously, insider trading is illegal here in, in Canada. So a few other red flags like that, we always try to find people go. Fascinating. I, I'm so taken with it, with the behavioral science element of it and, and you know, what you've been doing on this. That expand for us some of the, the studies that you've done and what, what you found. For sure. So we have the only behavioral science unit at a securities regulator in Canada That's at this point. There's definitely others such as the U.S., the U.K., Australia. Okay. Um, but it, after the financial crisis, there definitely started to be an awareness of, hey, wait a minute, people didn't necessarily behave rationally, right? There's emotions, there's drawing on past experience, we have our biases that come into play. And really the whole foundation of securities regulation historically has been that people are rational actors and presented with all the information available will make sound decisions, but that's just not how people behave in the real world. So. We created the function of have been doing work to really get at, okay, so how do people actually behave? Um, how will they actually respond to something, whether it's a information or a situation, including uh, talking to advisors or other people, um, and how does that affect their decision making? So we have done a lot of studies, and we our, our goal is to publish uh, as much of our research as possible because our view is it doesn't just help us internally, it's helpful to stakeholders. Um, as internally would be sort of allowing that to help with the policy regulating process. And education. Yeah, and yeah, education. But, but it's, yeah, it's definitely for it's other people for as well. 
Yeah. So we've had a lot of really positive feedback on on this front. Um, I'd maybe highlight a few areas. Yeah, so give us some examples. We, we yeah. focused on or are focusing on right now. So um, one that has gained a lot of attention that we published last fall, but have been continuing to do some work on, was around gamification and other behavioral techniques in um, investing platforms. So often it's new uh, platforms aimed at self-directed investors that use these the most, not just here in Canada but elsewhere. Um, but they draw on people's emotions and certainly certain behavioral biases that in some ways can be positive, but also maybe negative. Um, we did find through a study that some specific techniques increase trading frequency very significantly. And we know generally overall, on average, higher number of trades generally leads to poor, poor outcomes, right? So it doesn't apply to every single person, but on the whole, we saw some material impacts. So There's 40% more trades through some of these techniques. So again, a lot can be used positively and in education and other contexts, but we're cognizant of some of the, the negative influences as well. Um, three other areas that I'll mention that we're focused on. Um, one is crypto, a second is social media and influencers, and a third is ESG. So we've got some really interesting work underway there. Um, these are topics that um, our audience uh, would be yeah, hearing yeah. about a lot as well and, and wanting to stay ahead of. Just sort of headline, are there, are there are there particular behaviors that, that either surprised you or a bit unique to each of these? Or or does it actually come back to some of our, we think we're rational actors, but in fact, sometimes we, we aren't always. Like how, what have you noticed in any of those? Well, areas? a lot of our behavioral biases, it's a great question, um, come into play in many different ways, but the context certainly matters. Um, with respect to ESG, we do find that there's two types of investors. So there's those who are impact investors who care less about actually the financial returns. They're trying to make a difference, whereas others are more driven by the fundamentals and, and, and how that translates into company uh, performance. And so they have different drivers. Um, we're hoping to publish our study uh, in the new year on this, um, but it gets at some of what drives behavior for the different types of investors, including in particular um, the ratings that are assigned and oh, what underpins ratings, right? So if something has four out of five stars, for gold certificate, what does that mean? Uh, do the investors understand, do clients understand it means something or are they interpreting it differently? Um, so really fascinating questions there. It is really fascinating. Um, it tells a little bit about sort of what is accomplished, just going back to our, our opening statements of this month itself, what are, what are some of the, the real pushes this month? You've got sort of this month and I'm sure you're rolling out different initiatives. What, what does it look like and what's sort of the goal? Yeah. So it's, again, a great time for all of us to come together, all of us in the ecosystem to put a focus on uh, improving uh, financial literacy and education. We all have a role to play, as I said. So we and other stakeholders um, put out a lot of new resources during the month that put a focus on it. But you're right, we do it all throughout the year. Um, I guess I'd maybe highlight a couple of things that we're doing right now that hopefully uh, advisors can use with their clients as well. So our main website is getsmarteraboutmoney.ca. We actually just relaunched it in September with all sorts of new features, including behavioral tools. Mm -hmm. um, there's a behavioral bias checker there that's proven to be really helpful with it for advisors with their clients. So people can kind of check, check, learn about biases, see how they might react in the situation and then validate it against some alternatives. Um, but get smarter about money. We, we actually just won an award this week, which was a fantastic. Oh, congrats. Thank which you. one? Fantastic way to start the, the week. It was uh, the gold award um, from a, a 
a group that puts together from agencies and marketers and advertisers around the world, and it reflected the great work that was put into uh, in, put into the website. So we know from advisors who tell us they find that a really helpful tool to use with their clients, mm-hmm. and so wide variety of resources there on all sorts of investing topics, a lot of tools and calculators and worksheets that investors can use, but also advisors with their clients, um, different videos, all sorts of ways to, to learn. So that's a really important one. Um, but if I could mention one thing that we just launched yesterday. Yes, definitely. So I mentioned how there's lots of ways people get information and not every channel is right for the right person. But we just launched um, uh, at some courses. Uh, so in- are these like CSE courses or are they different level or what are they like? So they're, they're, they're put on by the OSC. They're just a different way of learning because okay. We know one way that people learn is through guided micro learning. Um, so it's for investors, um, as, uh, not CSE, uh, in the same way. And, um, people can sign up for our initial three courses. They take about an hour to complete. They've got interactive elements, um, some, some quizzes and steps along the way. And at the end of the hour, if they pass the little quiz, they get a little certi- virtual certificate. So just another way some people prefer to learn guided. Sure. interactive learning um, with milestones along the way. That's that's so fascinating. One of the, the big discussions, of course, is is sort of the the AI element that, that is coming. And this is um, a piece of information that I know advisors are trying to figure out how that gets communicated to investors, their clients. Yeah. Um, where are you seeing it being used in this industry at this point? And, and then maybe from there, we can kind of jump off on how what investors need to know about. Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, when, when ChatGPT was introduced last fall, not even a year ago, it almost felt like this thing came down from the skies. Yeah. And where, where did it come from? And it's disrupted many different, um, many different industries already in that short period of time. Um, so there's many ways AI is being applied in the industry broadly. But if I could focus on a couple things that we speak about with investors, but I think would resonate with advisors here too. Um, it, it, it's changed the way people seek out information, right? right? So using chat GPT is one way. People can just put a question into there and get answers back back and not always accurate, right? We're now right. learning more about the accuracy. They're called hallucinations when it just makes stuff up. But yeah. you know, how do investors trust and perceive that information? And in turn, are they bypassing other sources, right? Including advisors, including us at the OSC, our investor resources. So that's a really a long-term sort of question. Um, but you know, it, it can be used as tools, like anything uh, technology, it can be used for good, it can be used for, sure. for ill. Um, one thing that's negative is it has increased uh, the potential for fraud and misrepresentation. So uh, to use one example, not only can the technology clone voices now and pretend to be an advisor or anyone else, yeah. now the video technology is remarkable. The video we'll put in the chat, I, I created myself a few weeks ago using this new tool that was just released. It literally translates me speaking into seven different languages. Oh my goodness. I'm on screen. Yeah. It moves my mouth and facial features to look like I'm speaking. And I've looked at it many times. I can't tell the, the fake. This is what the Hollywood strike is about. It's my a, ha- good heavens. I mean, it's all, you could absolutely be impersonated. That's exactly right. And I, and I been reading about what the Hollywood strikes were about when I, use this tool, I got it instantly because it is scary. And so with advisors, with their clients, it's, it's important to give people the tools and tips to help spot or, or validate information they're seeing online right. because it's so easy. I, I did it myself. It, it took an hour. It took an hour. 
So what would you, what would you, so let's say that happened, you would, as an investor, you would pick up the phone and have an actual conversation with your advisor, for instance, or, I mean, what would be the solution to, yeah. to this type of thing? There's lots of different things people can do. It's, it's a tough problem. I'm not going to minimize it, but a couple of practical tips. So in any context, we're always telling people to do their homework and if necessary, get a second opinion. So information you see online, validated elsewhere, maybe it's with your advisor, maybe it's with an agent, agency like ourselves, maybe it's just some other source, but don't just immediately trust what you're seeing online. With respect to the, the deep fake technology, mm. one new sort of safety tool that seems to be becoming more accepted and, and in use is the idea of creating a, a safe word or phrase um, among That's your trusted circle. Right. So sometimes it presents as if you're getting a fraudster calling you presenting to be a family member and they sound just like you on the phone. Uh, you can ask for the safe word. Right. And if they don't know it, then you immediately know. That's so you have to, like. yeah. you have to establish that ahead of time. And there's actually no reason advisors can't do that as, as well with their clients. Yeah. Right. Like if ever in doubt, here's a word or phrase that we've agreed on. You could, you know, I set that in advance and then just ask that if you're ever in doubt. And the odds of it are, you know, are of a, a fraudster may be low in any one particular instance, but it is happening. And so that's just a practical thing people can do. Um, so how does the investor office uh, use social media to educate investors? What seems to be working well? You mentioned a little bit about two approaches on social media. Anything else you just want to round out that question? Yeah, yeah. So, so part of it depends on the channel. So yeah. we use currently Instagram, Facebook, um, Twitter, uh, and Reddit. Um, I feel like I'm missing one, but each channel has its own properties. Um, a lot of discussion on, on social media is around being authentic and accessible and giving relevant information in short bites that can be actionable. Um, so we try to do that a bit. I think we also recognize not everyone is going to just naturally find our social media accounts. The algorithms do what they do, but not everyone will naturally find their way to us. So we do invest in pushing out through paid promoted posts, some of our information, which we can target using the algorithms and affinities of, of different members. So we can do pretty precise targeting that's not necessarily visible if you just look at our page, but that's an important component, the push and the pull. Okay, so a couple of other ones. So any suggestions on how to remove bias from financial education? Example, mutual funds versus ETFs. Great. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. So again, it's complex. A lot of it comes down to uh, initially like helping people become aware of their biases that I mentioned. We've got a lot of resources on our website, which will be put in the chat if it hasn't already, um, including the behavioral bias checker. Mm -hmm. um, you know, people draw on their past experiences or knowledge or what was most relevant for them. So if their family has invested only in mutual funds or only in ETFs, um, they may be more likely to come in with that bias. So, you know, helping people understand the universe of options, uh, the pros and cons of each. Um, and then also recognizing that the conversations advisors have with their clients are really important too. Um, I'm speaking, uh, preaching to the choir, I know, but, mm -hmm. uh, you know, how the information is presented, um, how they rely on your advice. Um, do they trust you or do you already, or do you already know they're seeking out information elsewhere and how do you, you know, maybe highlight the pros and cons of where else they might be getting information. They're, they're tough things to do, but. First, recognizing we all have our biases and our, our behavioral influences is a key sure. one.
Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's really, really good. And, um, and then this question, how, how can advisors do more to support their clients' financial literacy that, that some may not be doing right now? Kind of back to that question of, you know, can you maybe use some of these resources and come armed with a little bit of a higher level of financial literacy for our next conversation? Like how do you, how do you sort of suggest they maneuver that, that question, that topic? Yeah. Uh, so, so again, providing helpful resources that are not necessarily provided by you is, is certainly one way to do it. You know, a third-party validation or or verification of sorts. Um, you know, it, we know it, it's not just financial literacy, right? It, it, investors, clients um, might also not be sharing with advisors all the information relevant for making sound recommendations or advice. I right? may be feeling that it's none of your business what my income is, or yeah. Know your business, who else I'm dealing with. So Finessing that is a real art because yeah. not everyone just wants to build beans there. Yeah. So that's, as you say, a third party perhaps taking you through some of the ways to, to bone up on something and then and then come back. And maybe there's a confidence to that almost from yeah. an investor perspective. And so uh, just another example of some resources we have, we have some tools for, for investors on how to engage and speak with your advisor, the questions to ask, Great. or also why they may be asking you this question, right? It's not just nosiness. Uh, there's a reason, and this is how it can help you. So again, it's not you telling them, it's directing to a different source. That can be one way. Would you say that the industry sort of collaboration that that you do, that, that you see others, is it, is it at a good level? I mean, there's always ways to improve uh, collaboration through different channels within the financial universe in Ontario and, and in other centers across the country as well. But, you know, what kind of grade would you give that collaboration at this point? Pick the safe answer. I'll give it a B. Yeah, I give yeah. it a B. Yeah, More room yeah. to improve. Room to improve. Um, but a lot of great work is being right. So um, everyone watching right now, all of us care a lot about people's financial health and, and want to do right. So um, financial literacy month itself is a great time to collaborate and and figure out how to work together better. Um, you know, we're, we're all proud of our of our ownership, and I've talked a lot about it, but we provide. But there's other people doing great work, too. Yeah. And so helping amplify the good sources of information, um, and, and we do the same with, with respect to other sources, it is one way to do that. So just sort, of, just sort of drown some of that yeah. out. Um, cybersecurity, we talked about AI and, you know, some of the risks of how that works, but the actual... Cybersecurity of you know people's accounts of you know, everything is always a worry for for any business owner, any um, advisor, financial planner. You're always concerned about that. What what do you have to say about that? Just concerns. Are there any new resources ultimately that everyone can probably take to heart and, and help them with that? Yeah, I'm going to assume most people watching have been required by their uh, firms, just like I have to take mandatory IT and cybersecurity training. And the tendency is to just want to click through that video quickly and get the answers and do something uh, more productive um, with your day. But the reality is it's there for a reason. Um, they are important lessons. So a lot of what's given to us as, as employees uh, or representatives is relevant for clients as well. So just good messages around uh, changing passwords, uh, keeping them in a secure location, um, not giving up personal information to someone you don't know or, or, you know, typically it's not asked for over the phone. So again, you know, hang up and call us directly if in doubt. Um, a lot of really good practices. So we have, have that on our website. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it's one of those things where we all 
probably know a lot of these good practices, either on our own work or elsewhere. But sometimes you just have to let Absolutely. it sink in. Um, you know, changing passwords, something that I will admit to myself, like I do it, but it always feels like a bit of a chore, but it's for a reason. But right? it's for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, maybe financial literacy month is, is your ticket into making sure that happens. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask about education at this level of what you're doing, probably largely grownups and adults, but are there building blocks in the school system, in the educational system that are being built there in whatever the equivalent of financial literacy being worked into other courses? Like, is there something to build on once you're an adult? Yeah, it's a great question. So the good news is that um, governments here in Ontario and elsewhere in Canada have in recent years taken steps to add financial literacy uh, to the, the curriculum, um, including through other courses such as math, um, making it um, woven into the fabric. So that's terrific progress and it will pay dividends well into the future. Um, one of the things with learning, though, it is a lifelong journey. And we know that sometimes for people to really internalize information, it's be at that point of a decision for action. Right. So when you're in school, you're not yet getting a mortgage. You're not yet purchasing your first invest first investments. Maybe crypto curious at that age, but mm -hmm. but generally a lot of the big life's big financial lessons haven't happened yet. So that's why the lifelong learning is so important and at those moments where there is a big decision to be made, people are more motivated to really understand what they're doing, more likely to retain the information and carry it forward and hopefully act on it in a responsible way. Fascinating. It's been so interesting speaking with you, Tyler Fleming. Thank you for joining us on Fidelity Connects. Thank you again for having me. It's been great. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity Mutual Funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash howtobuy for more information. While visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you next time.